I want you to know that family matters. Not because I said it matters, but because God said it matters. I want you to know that your family is important to God. We need to get that deep down in our heart. That God's, God is for the family. Why is he for the family, pastor, you might ask? Because he instituted the whole idea of family. It's his idea. It's his creation. He's the one that implemented and put it into motion. And we have families this day because God declared that it should be the way we populate the earth and the way that we should bring him glory through the family. Our family represents the holy family. Amen. And so I want you to know you don't have to get God on your side to bless your family. Amen. God wants to bless your family because he loves your family. In fact, the Lord loves your family more than you love your family. Did you know that? Do you know that his plans for your family are better than your plans for your family? Sometimes we ask here and God wants to bless us here. Amen. We asked too low. The other day I was talking about how ever since I was a little kid, I prayed that I would be six foot tall. That's a big order for a, for a Mexican kid. You know, that's just true. You know, I, nowadays you've got like guys that are really tall, but, but back when I was, I didn't have no one to look to who, you didn't have a single, uh, Hispanic name in the NBA. Not one that I could point to. The only one you could point to in the NFL was Anthony Munoz. He's a big boy for the Bengals who could be tall like him, you know. But I prayed for six foot tall. Then one of my friends, I think it was Keith, said, Pastor, you sold yourself short. Maybe God wanted to make you six four, but you you limited him. I said, oh, I didn't think of that as a kid. Come on, how many of you know that his ways are high above our ways? Isn't that true? High above our ways. And so sometimes we think that, that, that God... Lord, if you would just bless me here, but what if he wants to do exceedingly? Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly, above and beyond whatever you could hope for, imagine, or dream. God wants to go above. He loves your family. And so sometimes we say, Lord, if I could only get you to bless my family, if I could only coerce, if I could only manipulate, if I could only convince you, you don't have to convince him. You don't have to manipulate him. He wants to bless your family more than you want him to bless your family. The question is, are you going to get with him or are you going to constantly insist that he get with you? See, that's the thing. Lord, bless me over here where I want to be blessed. And God's saying, no, I have something better. You need to submit and let me lead your family. Amen. Let me bless your family. And so family matters to the Lord. The first thing I want you to know is that you've got to make sure and fight for your family. That means you cannot fall asleep at the wheel because... Family matters so much to God. Guess who else has taken notice of the family? It matters to the enemy. Because he knows that this is the way God plans and has instituted to bless the world. Because if you have a strong family, then he gets the glory. And strong children grow up to make strong parents. That grow up strong children. That grow up to make strong And continues to perpetuate. And strong families make for strong churches. And a strong family that makes for a strong church makes for a strong community. And a strong family that makes for a strong church makes for a strong community. Makes for a strong city that makes for a strong state. Because a strong family that makes for a strong church will make for a strong community. That makes for a strong city. That makes for a strong state. That makes for a strong what? Nation. Come on. And now we're changing the world. And it all starts with the family. But don't miss for a moment 
that the enemy wants to destroy your family. And so you cannot fall asleep at the wheel and forget where you're at. You cannot fall asleep at the wheel and forget where you're at. You know, the NBA finals have started and I love me some basketball. And I just can't wait for the, for the Suns to win. Cause, cause Chris Paul needs a, for his championship, doesn't he? Chris, well, I can see I got about, about a couple of y'all that want the Suns to win. Look, we gotta let go of it, church. The Spurs aren't in it. We can cheer for somebody else, alright? Now, now, now listen, uh, the game was playing. I don't even remember what was going on, but I do remember this one play very, very, very distinctively. Cause, uh, one of the Suns players, uh, they're big man. I can't, I can't remember his name. I'm not a Suns fan necessarily, but he was standing in the paint, kind of removed by the free throw line. And there was a long rebound. I mean, someone shot the ball, it hit the rim and it was bouncing towards him. He thought he was out of the play and he was asleep for just a second. Maybe the fans got his attention because we're having fans again, right? And people are excited and they're cheering. They're getting excited. I mean, it's just a great atmosphere. And he was sitting there for just a second. And the ball was coming. I thought for sure it was going to hit him in the face. I said, wake up, dude. Come on. It's the NBA Finals. And just then he, he kind of snapped to. He grabbed it and then he dribbled it and he slammed it. And I thought, yes, wow, his athletic ability made up for it. Some of us think that our spiritual ability will make up for our lack of paying attention. Can I tell you, your enemy is superior to you, mano a mano, hand to hand, person to person. You cannot afford to fall asleep on him for one second. You've got to stay engaged. And the way you stay engaged is you stay connected to God Almighty. And you say, Lord, I'm going to be about your business. I'm going to be about your purpose. I'm going to be about your pleasure and for your glory. And I know that you will protect my family because the enemy is coming for your family. Just the other day in preparation for this particular message, I didn't even know. And the person that sent it to me didn't even know. But many of you have been sending me the, the video of the gay choir that is singing about coming for our children. And it talks openly about the gay agenda that wants to take our children. We're coming for your children, they say. Now, since they, it's been a bad PR move for them, so they took it down. Yet I heard it. And many of you heard it. And it doesn't change the fact that's their heart. And I'm not putting them as the, as the enemy. We don't battle against flesh and blood. We battle against an enemy that has said, God has declared that the family should be between a man and his wife for marriage for all, for until death do them part. God has declared that and the enemy has said, let me come against it. And it's up to us to realize that we have to hold the standard, amen? That we've got to stand for what God has said. Now you say, Pastor, how do you feel? It doesn't matter how I feel. It matters what God has said. If it was up to me, if it was up to me, we'd all be in a world of mess. Because who knows what I might wake up feeling like in a certain day. And if you're on my, the wrong side of me, and if it was up to my decision making, you'd be in real trouble. 
But instead, I have, I have declared, Lord, I will live for you. And what you have said will reign supreme in my life. And this is what I will hold. And I will what? I will measure my life by it and, and fashion my life according to it. Don't you think this challenges me too? Of course I have some challenges. Of course I'm struggling. Of course I have things that I have to take to the cross and say, Lord Jesus, make me whole. Make me whole. Now listen, in the book of Nehemiah, we hear about this fight. And so I don't want you, because some of you are already saying, well, pastor, man, I came to be encouraged. When you talk like this, it makes me feel anxious and it makes me feel uncertain and it makes me feel nervous or makes me feel angry. It makes me feel frustrated. Can I tell you, none of that is necessary. What's necessary is to recommit ourselves to God and say, Lord, you're an awesome, mighty God. And what your word says shall prevail. And so, Lord, I just want to wash myself in your word and trust myself to you. Amen. And I know that you'll take care of the rest. So watch what he says in the book of Nehemiah to Nehemiah. Now, let me give you some context on this and tell you what, what's going on here. What's happening in the book of Nehemiah is Jerusalem had been taken over sometime previously by the Babylonian Empire. Judah was taken into captivity and many exiles had been living in, uh, in Babylon. Babylon, after 70 years, was taken over by the Medo-Persians. Now, this is where we find ourselves today in the book of Nehemiah, because Nehemiah is the cupbearer. What's the cupbearer? It's a very, very prestigious job. You get to be right next to the king at all times. And when the king wants something to drink or eat, you have to taste it to make sure there has no poison. So you get this awesome job. Now, (laughs) yeah, exactly. And so, but guess what happens? If you do it well, no one will dare poison the king because no one wants to poison you. Because when you fall dead, then the king launches an investigation. Eventually it goes back to the person who, who did it and they get killed. So you're really pretty safe. All things considering. Okay. Now, you, you get really close to the king and you share your heart with the king one day that your city, the city of your people, Jerusalem, lays in ruin. And the city walls have been completely destroyed. And today I want to encourage somebody because somebody might be feeling today, Lord, my life, my family lays completely in ruins and the enemy has destroyed everything about it. I'm here to tell you, under whatever circumstances you might feel it may be, it doesn't compare to what Jerusalem was in. And Jerusalem is loved by God and so is your family. Come on, so is your family. And he put Jerusalem back together and Jerusalem shall stand and so shall your family. Because God is for your family, amen? So I want you to take courage right here. Get some advice from Nehemiah. So this is what Nehemiah says to his countrymen as he goes back with permission from King Artaxerxes to help rebuild this city. And this is what he says in chapter four, verse 13. Therefore, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings And I said, people, according to their what? And with their swords. The New Testament says that the word of God is the sword of the spirit. So with your Bible, you're going to build and you're going to work and you're going to do your job and you're going to go about doing and living in this world, but you're never going to forget the spiritual significance of God's word over your family and your life. And so watch what happens here. 
I, gave, I told them to take up their sword, their spears, and their bows. And in one passage, it literally says, later in the book, it says that they had to work with one hand while they had their arm in the other. What does that mean? You're in a fight. You can't get distracted. Woman of God, man of God, child of God, you cannot get distracted. Now watch what happens. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the leaders and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. Remember your God who is great and awesome. And now watch this. Fight for your brethren, fight for your sons, fight for your daughters, for your wives and for your houses. That means you've got to get in there, man of God, women of God, and you've got to fight for your husband, fight for your wife, fight for your children. Say, you know what? I'm not going to fall asleep at the wheel and I'm not just going to let the enemy do whatever the heck he wants to do. He's going to have to come through me. Now, our battle is not of this world. It is mighty through God. And the weapons we have are spiritual weapons. We'll talk more about that as the series unfolds. But stay with me on here. Right now, I just want to light a fire under you. And so in verse 20 of that same chapter, Nehemiah says this. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet. In one version, it says, whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, Go there, bring all your families, rally to that point. Can I tell you where the sound of the trumpet is blowing? It's blowing in this church. We need families that come back from COVID and rally to this point, unite together. Because not only is the family being attacked, the church is being attacked. And when strong families get armed with the word of God, and the spiritual weapons of our God, and they run into the church, then they can unite together as a brotherhood and do mighty things. Now listen to me, guys. We don't battle. What are we? This is something you have to be careful because sometimes we run into the church and we start battling each other. Don't punch your brother, please. I don't want to be like dad. My dad used to cousin Chris, stop hitting your brother Isaac. Stop hitting Aaron. Aaron, stop hitting Isaac. No, no, no. We need to stand shoulder to shoulder and pray for things. Now, now there are opportunities in this church to get in discipleship. There are prayer minutes, prayer uh, opportunities every week. During the day, in the evening, we've been fasting. We've been spiritually making ready for taking ground for the kingdom. Now, what what do you think would happen if every family would begin to take advantage of those opportunities? Many have, but many haven't yet. And what if there were there were three, four, five, six, seven families? See, the Bible says that one can send a thousand to flight. That means one person can have a thousand output. But two can send 10,000. That's a tenfold multiplying effect. So what if there were three or four or five or six or an auditorium full of families saying, not on our watch. We're tearing down strongholds in the name of the Lord. We're releasing God's blessing in the name of the Lord. We're proclaiming what God has said over our children in the name of the Lord. What if God gives you a revelation that your son is to be the next Billy Graham, but you've been taking him around, chasing a ball here and there, and God wants him to preach to the nations. Think about it with me for a second. We're here to fight for our families. Watch what he says. 
And when you rally there, God will fight for us because this is the promise. When you fight for one another, God fights for us. And it reminds me of the time when my little brother Isaac would go down to Mina playground here and he'd get in a fight with some guys, bullies. He'd come back home to Aaron and I. He'd go, I got to Will you come with me? Will you come with me? Yes, we'll go with you. Boy, we start showing up, Mark. All of a sudden, Isaac fell 10 foot tall. He'd go up to the first guy, bam. Some of you need to have God at your back so that you can walk in there like you know something. No, no, listen to me. Some of us walked in here, broke, busted, and disgusted. Tail between our legs. You, you need to know that God is for you. Quit letting the enemy push you around. Quit letting him push you around. Understand who you are in Christ. Amen. You are a son of the most high God. The reason I say this is because if you go back to chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, Nehemiah says something very, very significant here. He says, listen to this. He says, the God of heaven will help us succeed. We, his servants, will start rebuilding this wall. But you have no share, no legal right, no historical claim to Jerusalem. He's telling the enemy and proclaiming it from his mouth what is true. And some of us need to proclaim over our family what is true according to the word of God. Meaning you have no right over my children. You have no right over my marriage. You have no right over my faith. You have no right over my peace and my joy. This is given to me as a birthright from God. God has said that what he has joined together, no man can separate. God has promised me that if I pray for my children, I have the authority as their father to speak a blessing over them. Therefore, in the name of Jesus, I pray for each and every one of my children. Fathers, you still have authority to pray over your children's children's children in the name of Jesus. And you can take that, mothers as well, and pray and say, you have no claim. You have no portion. None of this belongs to you. Therefore, you have to leave in Jesus' name. Point number one. Some of you are going, "Uh uh-oh. That was the longest point. Make sure you fight. Now, if once you've joined the fight, there'll be a couple of points here. And the first point is make sure they believe. Make sure your family believes. And I'm not just talking about your your offspring, I'm talking about your nieces, your nephews, your cousins, your aunts and uncles. Make sure they believe. Make sure they believe. Listen to what Second Peter says about Noah. God did not spare the ancient world when they were doing evil, but saved Noah, one of eight, a preacher of righteousness. How many of you know, parents, it's okay to preach? Noah preached. Bringing in the flood On the world of the ungodly. Now listen to me very closely. Jesus said that in the end times it will be like the times of Noah. Do you realize that Noah's ark is a representation of the the salvation of Jesus Christ? This is what I want you to know. In the King James Version, it says that Noah was the last one of eight into the ark. Which makes perfect sense to me. Because if I know this is something that's going to affect 
the entire world, the, the number one thing I want as a father, head of household, is to make sure my family's safe. I'm not going to run in there and say, man, I hope they make it. <laughs> I don't see them. Oh, well, that's on them. No, what are you going to do? You're going to stand at the door and you're going to say, come on. Every one of you get in. And some of you children have had a father or a mother or a grandfather or a grandmother been holding the door back. But it's time for you to get your butt through the door. It, somebody said, can you say butt? Not a normal pre- preacher. You've got to get in. You've got to do your part. He waited for each one to get in. Come on, how many of you know that it's, it's up to us to fight for the salvation of our family? Get them in. Get them believing. The Bible says this is a promise to you. In Acts chapter 16 verse 31. The Bible says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You and your entire household shall be saved as well. So you can pray this and claim it. And say Lord I'm saved. And now I'm asking this salvation verse for my whole family. Stand on it in the name of Jesus. Make sure they get in the ark. You say I still don't understand how that's a picture of salvation. Watch this. The world is going to get more and more sinful. The church will be inside of Jesus, the ark. There's one way in the ark, one door. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes through the Father. If anyone wants to come through me, they must enter through the narrow gate. That's the ark. When God the Father closes the ark and the church is raptured, judgment comes down. And the church rises in salvation. That's the picture of the ark. Make sure they're saved. Make sure they serve. Make sure you fight. Make sure your children are saved. Make sure they serve. What do you mean make sure they serve? The Bible says it very, very plainly in Joshua. I love what Joshua says about this. And if it seems evil to serve the Lord... Listen to what he says. If it seems evil to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves. He's telling the entire nation, choose for yourselves whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served when they were on the other side of the river, the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Come on, how many of us know as good parents, you don't give your children and those living in your household a choice whether they go to church or not. No, in my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Amen. I can remember telling my dad at one point, dad, um, you've always said that in your household, as long as you're paying the bills, well, now I'm working and I'm paying my own bills. He said, get in the car. (laughs) He didn't argue with me. He said, this is still my house and my rules. Do you realize it saved my little brother's life? He had a friend by the name of Michael who was 14 years old. We grew up Second Ward, Houston. And my brother was 13 years old and he wanted to stay home, Isaac did. Aaron and I were out working and my mom had some wisdom and my, my little brother Isaac was saying, I want to wait for Aaron and, I, and Chris. They'll come back for me and I'll go with them to church. She said, no, I've already talked to your brothers. They know the rules. They go straight from work to church. Straight from work to church. They don't have to change. They can go just like that. He said, oh. He said, get in the car, son. He got in the car. That night when we returned from church, there was crime tape all over our front yard because our yard's not very big. But like from here to Pat, Pat, raise your hand. From here to there is the front uh, curb of of the sidewalk and the street. 
And right about where Pat is, is sitting on the curb, Michael was shot point blank in the face and killed. And my brother and him were inseparable, except that my mom made him go to church. I'm telling you, you've got to fight for your family. You've got to make them serve. You've got to make them believe. You say, how can I make them believe? Oh, if you're passionate, guess what? Your children pick it up. Your children pick it up. Yeah, if you're a wimpy Christian, I guess you can't make them believe. But if you're a passionate man like my daddy was, then guess what? Every one of his children believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of them. And so we've got to choose to serve the Lord. The Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go. And while he was, and while, and when he is an adult or old, he will not depart from it. Reminds me of another story. There's a woman who noticed there in the neighborhood, an elderly woman, that there's this particular gentleman in this, he was a young man, young man. He had just moved into the neighborhood and he was in his early twenties and And he was single, but he would do everything for the elderly ladies and the elderly men. And he was constantly just serving people and helping them. They needed a tree trimmed. They needed something done. He was there. Finally, one of the ladies said, we've been talking, son, and we noticed there's something different about you. So what what is it that made you turn out so well? He said, well, you may not believe this, but when I was younger, I had a drug problem. She says, oh my goodness. I never would have guessed. No, faith doesn't come from drugs like that. He says, no, see, when I was younger, my daddy drugged me to church on Sunday morning. (laughs) And then on Sunday night, my mama drugged me to church. And on Wednesday night, they both drugged me to church. And every time that door was open to that church, I got drug in. And, and I'm telling you, it works. Amen? I'm here to tell you guys, fight for your family. Amen? Listen, in the book of Job, the Bible says in Job chapter 1 that that Job had seven children and three daughters. And these, these sons would take turns having feasts. And they would have family dinners. We're going to talk about the importance of family dinner. And so we'll do that next week. But they would have these family dinners. And after the family dinner, Job would make sacrifice for each one of his families. Because he said, what if they have turned their hearts away from God? And he would sacrifice and make burnt offerings. And if you know anything about the burnt offering, it's quite elaborate. Thank God we don't have to do that because we're under the, the covenant of grace. So think about, you don't have to go through all that ritual. All you have to do is hit your knees and say, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I lift up my oldest daughter, Raquel. And I pray you're covering over her and my son-in-law and their marriage and their home. And I pray that you protect them. And I pray for my one and only son, Joshua. And I pray that he would grow up strong and faithful and the enemy would have hold over him. No hold over him. Come on, guys. This is what Job did. He sanctified his family. Why? Because he understood what it meant to fight for his family. The next point is make sure they honor. What do you mean make sure they honor, pastor? Well, there's a passage in the book of 2 Kings chapter 10, verse 7, about a man and a woman who were very, very prosperous when it came to their offspring 
And it's a story about King Ahab, the evil king of Israel, and Jezebel, his wife, his queen. Well, they were very evil. They turned away from the Lord. They never did honor him, even though God, time and time again, said, I need you to honor me. Give, I gave you an, a chance. I'll give you another chance. I'll give you another chance. And yet they turned their back, and they turned their back, and they turned their back. And when Satan finally came to collect, every one of his offspring were killed. Every one of them. Why? Because this matters. Now let me contrast that with another person. Another person who you may not even know of, but his, his story is found in 1 Chronicles 26, and that is the man by the name of Obed-Edom. See, Obed-Edom's story really begins with him honoring God. David was transporting the Ark of the Covenant back in a manner he shouldn't have been doing. See, many times we think because the world does something, we can do the same. See, when the Ark of the Covenant was taken, the Philistines put it on a cart with oxen and they rolled it out. David tried to bring it back because what was good for the world, he thought was good for him. You're a child of the Most High God. You have to listen to God's word. He was supposed to bring it back with men carrying it on poles. Because he didn't do it right, the ark started to fall. One of his men reached out to steady it and he was killed instantly. You say, oh my goodness, how unfair. What do you mean? Everyone in Israel knew the rules. That's on David. David gets intimidated by this whole situation, says, I don't want to bring the ark back. It needs to stay somewhere else. Obed-Edom says, I'll do it. I'll keep it in my house. The Bible says that Obed-Edom's home was blessed so, so, so prolifically that his, he was prospering in every facet of his life. Why? Because if you honor God, he will bless your socks off. Listen to me, if you honor God, he will bless your socks off. And the Bible specifically makes mention of all of his offspring. And it was only three months in his home. The, the, the evidence was so pronounced that David heard about it and said, no, we gotta, get the, we gotta get the ark back to Jerusalem so the whole nation can be blessed. But that forever changed Obed-Edom and his family. The Bible says that from that moment on, every time they needed somebody to do anything, we need a gatekeeper for the ark, Obed-Edom would volunteer. We need this in the temple and his children would volunteer and everyone would volunteer. And that went from generation to generation to generation. Why? Because, because there was a parent who decided to honor the Lord. Now I want to tell you another story. A story of Robertson McQuilkin who in 1990 resigned his position as the head of Columbia Seminary and College. Even though he was at the height of his career, he resigned his position because of his commitment to honor God and his wife who had fallen ill of Alzheimer's. This is a portion of his speech. I have in my life experienced easy decision-making on major decisions. But uh, one of the simplest and clearest decisions I've had to make is this one, because circumstances dictated it. Uh, Muriel, now, uh, in the last couple of months, seems to be almost happy when with me, and almost never happy when not with me. In fact, she seems to feel trapped, become very fearful, Sometimes almost terror, 
and she can't get to me. There can be anger. She's in distress. But when I'm with her, she's happy and contented. And so I must be with her at all times. And you see, it's not only that I promised in sickness and in health till death do us part. And I'm a man of my word. But as I have said, I don't know with this group, but I've said publicly, it's the only fair thing she sacrificed for me for 40 years to make my life possible. So, if I cared for her for 40 years, I'd still be in debt. However, there's much more. It's not that I have to, it's that I get to. I love her very dearly, and you can tell it's not easy to talk about. She's a delight. It's a great honor to care for such a wonderful person. That doesn't happen by accident. That happens because parents fought. And they fought and taught him to honor. And that's faith grounded in God's word. I love that. I'm a man of my word. Make sure they love the Lord. Make sure they love. I, I, I Notice I started off and I went more and more serious. Because if they love God, they're going to serve. They're going to honor. They're going to obey. They're going to do all of those things. And love is what this is all about. Teach them to fall in love with God. You know, my dad fought for me and he did a lot of good things, but he brought me in God's house and he brought me up in God's house. And the love was something I had to see. I saw him love God with all his heart. And therefore, I learned to love God with all my heart. After all, Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The Bible says, the world will know that we belong to him by our love one for another. The Bible says over and over and over, love the Lord your God. When you love him, then you experience his bounty and his plenty and his goodness. I want to share one more story with you to inspire you to love and to teach and to fight for your kids to love God. You know, there was a man who was very, very wealthy and he used his, his wealth in various ways to help others. But one particular thing that he, he enjoyed was art. He enjoyed classic art and beautiful art. And so he, he started to use his wealth to buy some of the most exquisite paintings in the world. And he would keep them in his collection. And his joy was complete when he had a son. He had one son and he grew him up and he taught him about art. And together they would walk, Keith, and look at the different art pieces. And he would tell him about the different paintings and the different artists. And this is Rembrandt and this is Picasso and this is um, Van Gogh. And this is all of these different people. And together they would enjoy that art and they would talk about it until one day his, his son went off to war. And then that dreadful day came when they came and announced to him that his son had fallen in battle and that he, he died a courageous death. He died saving 
other soldiers. It consoled him a little bit, but he, he would forever feel that sense of loss, not having someone to share this beautiful passion with. Till one day the door rang and he went to the door to find a young man dressed in uniform. He said, sir, you don't know me, but I'm, I'm the soldier your son died saving. I am forever in his debt. And I know it may not mean much that I painted it. It may not mean much to the world, but maybe it'll mean something to you. I painted a portrait of your son the way I remember him. And he captured his, his essence so beautiful that the, older, the old man started to cry. As he looked at his son and he just held the painting. He said, thank you. He said, how much can I pay you for this? This is priceless to me. The young man says, no, that's the least I can do for what I owe your family. He goes inside, he hangs it on the wall in the most prominent place. And anytime anyone came over to look at his collection, the first place he would start is at that painting and say, look at my son. We enjoyed this beautiful collection together for so many years until he gave his life for his station. When the course of time, the old man dies and his will is is uh, is adhered to and, and part of his will is that all the paintings should be auctioned. He wants to share his collection with someone else. That was always in his heart. And so this big to-do is held and people come from near and far, rich and poor. They want to see the masterpieces and so they begin the auction and the auctioneer says, where shall we start? I think we should start with the painting of the sun. And someone says, can we save that one to the end? That's not what we're here for. He says, no, we're going to start with the painting of the sun. Do I have a hundred dollars? Can I have a hundred dollars, please? Anyone, a hundred dollars. Someone else pipes up and says, sir, that's not why we're here. Bring on the artist, bring on the, the, the masterpieces, bring on the Van Gogh. And others are yelling out different artists. That's why we're here. Finally, he says, I need everyone to pipe down. We're starting with this painting. Anyone, $100, finally from the back of the room, the gardener that was the gardener for the family, all those years with tears in his eyes say, that's a beautiful picture. And I can remember him as he ran through these corridors and in the garden, I'll take it for $100. Going once, going twice, sold. Everybody starts yelling, okay, great. Can we get to the masterpieces? The auctioneer closes his portfolio, closes his computer, takes off to leave. They say, whoa, whoa, what's going on? He said, the stipulation in the will was this. If you want all of these riches, you must be willing to take my son. You're dismissed. They belong to that man who just purchased them for $100. Lord, I willingly give you everything for your son. I give you my life, my wife, my children. 
give you everything for your son. Amen. God, I pray for someone here today that you would restore the joy of their salvation. That you would help us all feel that amazing joy of knowing you. Lord Jesus, thank you for your goodness. We celebrate you. Lord Jesus, thank you for your blood that washes us white as snow. Forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of our hurts. Forgive us of our our everything. In your name. Church, have a great week. I love you.